Today, the candle of peace on our Advent wreath is, is lit. And if there ever was a time in today's world that we live in where, in our history, we lament for the peace of Jesus and for Christ to bring peace, it is the day that we live in. Where all around us, it seems to be that there is turmoil, the fabric of society in some way is, is unraveling around us. And so we lament for the coming of the Prince of Peace or for the Prince of Peace to bring us peace in the life that we live today. And so, if you will, hope you have your Bible opened to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, and a sermon that I've entitled, Grace to You and Peace from God. Let's stand for the reading of these first three verses. This is Paul's standard introduction, his, if you will, his greeting. And so, but there's a lot of theological truth in just these three verses. So, Paul called by the will of God to, the, uh, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you that you would bless the reading that has entered our ears. And Father, may it enter our heart and our mind as well. Help us to think intently what it means to be a church that is peaceful and, grace and gracious, to be worshipers who are gracious and peaceful with one another. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I think I have, I've kind of given up on watching the news. Anyone there? But if you watch the news, you'll find that there are a couple of things that are missing in our world amongst, amongst many things that are missing. Two things or ways of life or ways of thinking that is missing in our world today is grace and peace. Amongst many, but we'll highlight two today. Grace and peace. Maybe we'll highlight joy next next week and these things seem to be absent or 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 long past gone and the church today i believe should exist to exhibit both grace and peace to a world that is void of them both people should think of the church the church universal as a place where peace and grace and mercy can be found would you invite someone to come to worship with you at Piney Grove? I hope that you will. I hope that you would. I hope this is a place of grace and, and peace. But people think of the church, they should think a place of peace and grace and where mercy can be found. But I am I'm shamefully afraid to say this, that, the, that, that a church today across the globe has turned to anything but a place of grace and peace. When people think of the church today, what do they think of? Well, that church harbors hypocrites and, and people who are always at odds with one another. They can't agree on what they believe in. And there's, there's at odds and there's arguments and hardly a pace, place of grace 
and peace, at least from the worldly standpoint. But may I say this, every church who has believers who are living and functioning and living for Jesus, there's, at least in those churches, there's people who love Jesus and are exhibiting peace and are exhibiting grace and are exhibiting mercy. And I want to be a worshiper that exhibits all of those, and I want our church to exhibit all of those to a lost and dying world as well. I heard of a, a meeting this past week where the pastor and deacons had met together, and they were supposedly exercising Matthew 18 discipline. And it had gotten to the place where it's probably out of hand all, already. And the, the pastors and deacons, from my recollection of what my testimony there and hearing the testimony is that the church handled it in an unbiblical fashion, in an unbiblical manner, and it made me scratch my head. Can grace and peace be found within this whole ordeal? Shouldn't the church be a place of peacemaking and biblical integrity? What say you, church? Amen. The church should be a place of peacemaking and biblical integrity. Well, that means that we are also to be a church that is uncompromising on truth. Because sometimes holding to biblical integrity and what is right in the Bible will not bring peace in this broken world, but people will look to the church to uphold truth and uphold grace and uphold peace. The church ought to be able to deliver in Jesus' name. Shouldn't it? The church should be able to deliver grace and peace and truth and biblical integrity. Well, somebody might say, well, preacher, we're, we're, not, we're not a perfect church. And I know that. There is no church that exists on this earth that is perfect, but we serve a perfect Savior. And if we are to mimic, if we are to follow, if we are to be conformed to His image, well, along the way, you would think that a little bit of that Jesus and His character would rub off on us. Apostle Paul is writing to a church with a lot of dysfunction. You might be saying, well, preacher, why are, why are you reading from a minute, the, uh, the greeting from Paul in verse 3? Is, it, is, it, is there a purpose behind this particular text? Is there a particular reason why you pick the greeting of the Apostle Paul? That would be like somebody doing a sermon, an exposition on dear John. But I believe in this saying is packed with some theological truth. Paul is writing to a church that had a lot of dysfunction. If you were to read through the catalog of scandals and issues in the church at Corinth, you will find a catalog of issues. You will read of sins that become thematic in terms of worldliness. And if we were honest, worldliness today has invaded the very life of the church. The church at Corinth might look like many churches today who are too busy trying to look like the world and less trying to look like Jesus. They're exhausting their resources and their money to try to look like the world and less like Christ. There was disunity in the church. Some people, as they sat down to have the Lord's Supper, there was an absolute mockery of the communion table, the Lord's 
Supper. This is why Paul challenges the church who, by the way, they were getting drunk off of the wine and they were eating up all the communion bread before anyone had a chance to come in later and to commune with the church. And so that's why Paul says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. It, is, it would be like you would trample the sacrifice of Christ underfoot every time you came to the communion table in an unworthy way. It is almost like you would be standing at Golgotha's hill looking up at Jesus every time the bread was broken, the cup was poured. Then he says in verse 28, Let the person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There were divisions in the church. There were some that said, well, we follow Peter or Cephas, some Apollos. And there were those who did not believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, there are people who call themselves churches, quote-unquote churches, who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord. And according to the Bible, that does not qualify as a church. The ecclesia, the called-out ones, that does not constitute a church. Maybe an assembly, maybe a gathering... Maybe a club, maybe a country club, but a church it is not. There were gross sexual sins. There were people in the church who overlooked it or let it go. They turned their head to this, this immorality and sexual sin. Paul alluded to hetero and homosexual sins within the church at Corinth. There were issues concerning a group of women within the church who were trying to start division. This is why Paul uh, strictly commanded these particular women to not speak until they got home. But what we do not find is that Paul, see, Paul was not strictly commanding all women everywhere and wherever at all times to stay quiet until you get home. There was a group of particular women who were stirring up division and they were questioning Paul's apostolic authority. So for this, he says, you wait till you get home to... Ask your husband these theological matters. Then there was the sin of immorality and drunkenness. There was the elevation of speaking in tongues. This super spiritual self-righteous attitude that if you didn't speak in tongues or you didn't exhibit this gift, that you were somehow the spiritual scum in the church. There was this self-righteous attitude that permeated through the church. Now, many modern churches today can identify with some of these ugly sins, raising its head within the church from time to time. But God has called us out of the world to uphold truth. In fact, that is what the church means, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones called out into the world. We're called out to be different. And so Paul here is being gracious as he can with the church, and yet he is flexing in some way his apostolic integrity and authority when he writes these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and of the Lord Jesus. And I want us to examine these two aspects and, and traits, I think, that must be exhibited in the church today. These two aspects that should and must be exhibited in the church today. First, the church is to exhibit grace to others. Grace to others. If you were to take that phrase that I just mentioned in Paul's introduction 
And if you were to put that in, let's say you have a Bible software at home or a concordance or something of that effect, and you were to plug in grace to you and peace from God, if you were to type this in some type of Bible software, you will find that the Apostle Paul uses this same exact greeting eight different times. Eight times in total. So this was this standard greeting, but it is so impactful because I believe that it reflects a pastor's heart. It reflects a pastor's heart who wants to be gracious, who wants to be a peacemaker, who wants you to be a peacemaker, who wants to, you to be at, uh, full of grace and at peace with the Lord Jesus. And in fact, if I would paraphrase the, the undertone, the undercurrent of what Paul is saying, it would be something like this. I want you to know that there might be some hard truths that you might hear from me today, but I bring forward these pronouncements peppered with grace and the grace of Jesus. I'm going to bring some hard words. I just want you to know it's for your good. It's because I love you as a pastor. I'm going to bring these, these words to you. In fact, if you were to look that term up and that phrase, you'll find that introduction in Romans. You'll find it in First and Second Corinthians. You find that phrase in Second Thessalonians and Philemon. You find it in Galatians and in Ephesians. So here is Paul. He's He's first, in, in verse 2, he is reminding the church of their now position in Jesus. And Paul does this quite a bit. You were like this, but now you are like this. You were once dead in your sins, but now you are alive in Jesus. You once walked in the manner of this world, but now you are like this. You are sanctified in Jesus, and you are set apart. And I'm going to write some things to you. And I want you to know that these things should not be intermingled in the church. There are some things in the body of Christ that should not be named amongst them. And a few things that he will mention. He reminds them in verse 2. Number one, you are a church who belongs to God. You are a, ch a church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been set apart by Jesus himself. You are called to be holy ones. And by the way, this word holy ones might be translated in your Bible, saints. Not that we're perfect, but that we are set apart. And you are set apart as holy ones, the saints of God, to be that way in every place and every area of your life. If you're a believer, you're not called to be a saint of God through Jesus just on Sunday morning at the 9 or 10 o'clock hour that we meet. This is every area of your life. You are to be different than the world. Where the world will say, take off you can. If your eyes lust after it, grab it. We're to be different. Different than that. So these words he writes, be saturated with brotherly love, pastoral love, and yet will be stern in truth. And we might use the phraseology, it is truth in love. Truth in love. So he says, grace to you. It first shows up in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. And then because there is a multiplicity of believers that are intermingled with, with many of the letters that we find in Paul. So he's writing to believers uh, at the church at, at, at Corinth. And many times you'll find there's a multiplicity of believers from many backgrounds. And so uh, Paul, as he, he's addressing both Gentile and he's addressing Jewish Christ followers alike. He's addressing this mixed bag of believers. So he says, grace to you, to the Greeks, to the Gentile, and peace to the Jewish believers therein. You'll also find both of these 
in the book of Numbers. We've worked through Numbers a couple years ago, and in Numbers chapter 6, verse 25 and 26. Sometimes we use both of these, if not one of these, in, uh, in wedding ceremonies. And uh, this, of course, is to the Israelites, is to his people. It says in verse 6, 25, The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And then verse 26 says, The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you peace. Just what exactly does this grace mean? And after we find out what it means, how does this look in our life? How do we mark in our life, say, there's the grace of God, plant a flag. There's the grace of God, plant a flag. How do we plant flags in our life that demonstrate where God has brought us from to where we are now? First, let's look at the examination of this word grace. Our first inclination as to find out a definition is to go where? To a dictionary. It would be our first inclination is to grab a dictionary, but grabbing the right type of dictionary is important in this case. Our simple understanding of grace that we have heard from pulpit to classroom to discipleship through whatever meeting would be a simple understanding that grace is God's unmerited favor, meaning that we don't deserve anything from God. We didn't deserve salvation, but He gave it to us anyway. We didn't deserve to live a life consecrated to the work of Christ, but Somehow, God, in His grace, He gave it to us anyway. He blessed us with this unmerited favor anyway. And if ever anyone ever stands up and anyone ever says that I deserve to be saved, I would say, you need to look at your life and you need to look at your salvation experience. Because one thing, coming to Christ, one thing, coming to the Lord and being saved, one thing that that will do if you are genuinely regenerate, it will bring you to a place of humility where you will be broken before God. And so let's look at it. Theological or biblical dictionary of the word grace, according to the common Greek language of their day, this is the, the commerce language, Greek language, is from the word charis, at the very core, it means acceptable. It means benefit. It means favor. That's where we get God's unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. It is a gift. God has given us the gift of eternal life. It means joy. It means pleasure. It means thanks. And so now, here's where we plant our flags. This is where we plant our flags. This is God's unmerited favor. Where we would have deserved this, we received this instead. So here's where we would look how these places of grace, the flags that we plant, and the actions in our life, grace can be implied in these ways. When we deserved punishment, instead God showed us compassion. When we deserved to be separated from God and the goodness from God forever, God gave us and showed us compassion. God said, you can't do it alone. And when we cannot do it alone, when we can't walk through this life, God gave assistance. So He gave us His Holy Spirit. When we can't find God in and of ourselves because our own lostness and the distortion of our mind, God gave us assistance by His Holy Spirit, quickening, quickening us, making us alive so we can know who God is. God showed us and gave us assistance. 
when we lack wisdom. What does the book of James say about wisdom? When we pray for wisdom, God will give us wisdom. He will grant us wise counsel. When we suffer, when we go through adversity, when we go through hardship, God gives us various types of healing to make it through or to bring us through those times of adversity. When we are unlovable, which is probably most of the time, (laughs) when we are unlovable, God loves us to the utmost. In fact, he sent his only son, didn't he? His only, the Bible describes Jesus as the only unique, begotten son of God. And so, God loves us to the utmost by sending his son. When we continually sin and when we fail, which is, again, most of the time, if we're honest, God gives us forgiveness. And when we need strength... He gives us perseverance. He gives us a way to make it through. In fact, He is how we make it through. John 1 and verse 16 says, from, uh, for, uh, for from His fullness, that is the Lord, we have received grace upon grace, stacked upon stack, abundant grace upon abundant grace. And if you could put an exclamation point there in the Greek language, it would be an exclamation point there after grace. So Paul is writing to this scandalous church for them to remember that you are the called out ones. You're the church. You're the ones called out. You are called to be a light for Jesus and not a tool to be used by the devil. You are called to be a light for Jesus and not a tool in the hands of Satan. Now, We are reflecting on grace today. And just because I mentioned a few things for you this morning to to grab a hold of, some tangible things, right now, hopefully, your mind, God's grace is here. God's grace is here. Thank you, God, for your grace here. You've brought us through this. God, thank you for this grace here. It doesn't mean that what we hear about grace stays here when we leave. What do I mean by that? God's word is not just for our information. It is not just for us to say, that was good knowledge, Pastor. Thank you for enlightening me a little bit more on the meaning of grace. It is not for our information. It is for our transformation. What are we going to do with this word once we leave today? It is for our transformation. And it doesn't take much effort, if you will. We're talking about horror stories within the church. And there are probably many where grace and peace and wisdom seems to be absent. And by the way, that's what happens when you have a bunch of people running a church who are unregenerate. When you have people who are not saved, who do not know Jesus, running a church and trying to manage a church, you find it in all types of turmoil. So there are some events, I would say, that is not prone to show grace and mercy and peace Rather, they are letting unregenerate church members rule and govern the affairs of the kingdom. And God will judge that church. The church should be a place where the grace of Christ is constantly, constantly on display. I read an article from an online source this past week. The name of the website was churchplants.com, church planters. In this article, the author goes on to write of a horror story. I'm going to kind of retell it the best I can. He says, years ago, I befriended the lead pastor of a church ministry that was, they were doing amazing things in the community. And 
And we became friends over the phone, he says. The pastor explains that every church in America was doing it wrong. By the way, that should have been some red flags there. Every church in America is doing it wrong, he says. And, and, and they go on to write and says, this really appealed to my discontent about the church culture and our phone calls were filled with tons of encouragement and positive affirmation over my gifts, my talents, my treasure, my insights, and the abilities that God had given. But whenever I spoke about my church in a bad way, the lead pastor agreed as loudly as possible. Over time, the author would go on to, to, to state that he was offered a position within the church and he found it quite odd that nobody in the church disagreed with one another. You might say, well, that seems to be a well-organized and unified church. But once you dig down a little bit, you find out why. When they were asked about this odd behavior, the response was, we never disagree and, get this, we never get it wrong. Now that obviously should have been some major red flags there and they should have packed up their bags and found somewhere else. Because all churches have disagreements. And most all churches get something wrong sometime and somewhere. Maybe nothing heretical, just maybe some bad governing. The article goes on to say how they had a disagreement with the senior pastor. And on the phone with him, this pastor dropped a lot of different curse words at him. The so-called pastor cussed this person out on the phone, and here's what the author wrote about it. That night at 3 a.m., that's the first problem there. You may be glad he answered the phone at 3 a.m. He said, I woke up to a phone call. For the next 42 minutes, the lead pastor yelled and cursed and demanded my apology. I hardly spoke. He dropped, get this, he dropped the F-bomb about 10 times. He also started cussing out other pastors and his own staff and then said, I'm telling you this because I love you, man. And then went right back to cussing again. He said, I don't have a problem with curse words, but they were directed at others, namely me. And I offered to write a letter that recanted all that I said. And he said, well, you better. And after the phone call, I contacted the whole staff and apologized. Now, this is just one instance amongst many, I'm sure, that exist. I'm sure that every church has a horror story in their history. Every church has something that they have worked through in the past. Point being is this. This should not be the normative for the church. People should not say, hypocrites abide there. They should say, peace, grace, love, and joy abides within those people who call themselves followers of Jesus. Because Jesus' death and His resurrection should be so compelling, it should be enough fuel for grace that it should overflow onto everything else that we do in life. And in case we forget, and sometimes we do, the world is watching us. We are to overcome the world and not look like it. 1 John 5 and 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God does what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. That's our faith. We are not to look like the world. We are to look like Jesus. Secondly, we are to exhibit peace to others. Grace and now peace. And it should come to no surprise that there are some truths that the church teaches that are at odds with the system of this world. In casual conversation, 
If you talk about the exclusivity of Jesus in the public square, it won't be too long before you get some kickback against that. When you talk about there is no other way other than Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven in which men might be saved, and that's through the name of Jesus. You start talking about that in, the, in, in cities and towns and the public square, it won't be long before you find yourself at odds with the system this world. And in some way, there will be no peace or resolution met there. There will be no peace. But the way that we function within should be seen without. Let me say that again. The way that we live and function within should be seen without. And that makes all the difference in the world. People need to be able to see that we are peaceable one with another. And this requires, when there are disagreements, when there are arguments, that we handle it with wisdom and love and gentleness and peace. Now, peace comes from the Greek word that means calm, tranquility, serenity, or calmness. And the Hebrew understanding of this word is the word shalom. We probably know that word, shalom, which means, in the Hebrew text, it means a time of human, perpetual, ongoing flourishing. Flourishing as we live under the rule and reign of Christ and as we function and live with one another. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And true peace comes from Christ. Now here is where we begin to speak to the wayward soul. Because you might be here today and your soul might be at war within you. Your soul might be tossing and turning within you. You have never, ever, never bowed before the, the person of Jesus and have never confessed your sin to Him. You have never said, I am a sinner. Here I am. Lord, I believe in your perfect life. You were sinless. You died on the cross. You died in my place. And you were laid in the tomb and you rose again on the third day. You did all of that so that my sins might be absolved. They might be forgiven. Lord, I, I believe that today and I, I give it to you. Maybe you've never done that. Your soul might be tossing within you and you, you can't find peace. And only Jesus can ease the troubled soul. Let me ask you, can you enjoy the peace of God outside of Christ? No, you can't. In the words of John Owen, he says, we cannot enjoy peace in this world unless we are ready to yield to the will of God in this world. We cannot enjoy peace in this world unless we are ready to yield to the will of God now in this world. So, the church should be peppered, if not saturated, the grace and peace of God Almighty. It should be a safe haven for all to come and to hear the good news, to see the good news in action, people living out their, their faith and on mission for the Lord loving one another and building up their faith one with another. We need to exhibit this peace to the world because the peace of Christ should be part of who we are now. It should be part of our nature. It should compel us to demonstrate peace. So peace by its nature is reconciliation with God. Where there was indifference, where you might be indifferent with God, it is replaced by love and confidence of who He is and who we are in Jesus. Where 
We might have mental and ethical uproar. Now we have inward serenity. Where we might be have tossing and turning in our spirit, troubling us because we don't have peace. Now we have serenity and inward serenity in Jesus' name. Peace with all men. When men are at peace with God, they are at peace with one another. Wars and disagreements, arguments should be so foreign in the body of Christ that when they happen, we say, that come out of nowhere. How did that happen? Baptist church up the road, they had a a disagreement. It shouldn't be, well, that makes sense. No, it should be, well, that come out of nowhere. That's not like them. That's not like their character. I found this article printed in 1988. I'm going to end on this. I wanted to use it because I believe that these stats have gotten a little worse. So I think it would be a good practical thing for us to look at. In this journal, it announced these incredible statistics that it took in 1988. Really, since the recording of human history itself. And the entire world has been at peace in the whole world less than 8% of the time. 8% of the time. And in this study, the uh, article discovered that of the 3,530 years when this article was written, of recorded history only saw 286 years of what one might call some time of peace throughout the world. Moreover, in an excess of 8,000, we could say 8,030 some, 8,000 peace treaties were made, and how many do you think were broken? All of them. So this has gotten worse. But can we say that things have gotten worse for the life and health of the church? Has the testimony of the church universal become tainted with disagreement and disunity? Or can we say as the worshiper that we are peaceful and gracious one with another? So you, worshiper, are you peaceable? Are you gracious with one another? Is there someone that you need to go to and be a peacemaker? Maybe forgiveness needs to happen. There should be not a season of peace, as we lit the candle, not a season of peace, but a lifestyle of peace. As Jesus lives out through us, that we are gracious and that we are peaceable with one another, and we exhibit this to all who are around us. I'll invite you, if you will, let's, let's pray the Lord to continue to speak to us.